It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Bring your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you all on this uh, Friday. What a busy show uh, we have lined up for you, courtesy of Brant, uh, your local John Deere equipment supplier branches uh, all around the country, doing uh, such great things uh, during times of hardship too for a lot of people. So uh, we thank Brant for that as well. We have uh, got some football to talk about very shortly. All whites nil, China nil. So we'll talk about that with uh, Jacob Spoonie. They lost their captain, actually. Tommy Smith sent off with about half an hour to go. They had to rally and uh, rally and dig deep, and uh, they were able to do that. What did uh, Jacob Spoonley make of that performance last night? We'll go to the sports desk around uh, 9.25. Um, Seb Coe, one of the uh, Sir Seb Coe. Lord Coe, is it? Lord Coe. Might be Lord Coe. Um, anyway, Seb uh, will be um, passing some, uh, some comments to us uh, on uh, the Russian ban, transgender ban. Uh, might even hear from Tyson Fury as uh, well as he takes... Uh, uh, aim at um, Usyk, of course, that, that fight's been called off, hasn't it? Um, Susie Bates after 9.30. Uh, White Ferns uh, all-rounder, of course, predominantly um, just batting these days, but uh, Susie, ANZ, One Day International Player of the Year at the awards last night. Uh, Luca Connor from uh, Chief Samanawa, she's uh, the hooker there, and uh, we will be hearing from her just after 10 o'clock. Lavina Good and Sam Ackerman, there's a strong league connection about the panel this morning. Uh, well, we'll look forward to uh, all your texts on the uh, Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Um, any thoughts on uh, anything going into the weekend? What you make of the cricket awards last night? Um, so, yeah, plenty there to uh, for you to, to digest. Predictions for the weekend. Uh, Pitt Morrison, Louis Herman, what before eleven o'clock? And then uh, Heath Mills, uh, New Zealand Cricket Players Association chief executive, has been that for a long time. He got the Burt Sutcliffe medal last night at New Zealand Cr- the Cricket Awards for services to New Zealand cricket. So uh, we shall uh, talk to him. And then uh, there's um, what's on an SENZ this weekend. We'll highlight uh, what you can look forward to coming up before we talk to Michael Gerrin and then staff just before midday. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, there's a really cool milestone for rugby fans, particularly those who possess a set of cowbells to celebrate this weekend. D-Mac plays his 100th for the Chiefs. Shame he won't be, uh, he'll be playing in Sydney of all places. Could have played uh, at home last weekend, couldn't he, in front of his fans and family. Uh, you know, that would have been 100. Nice to run out onto FMG Stadium. Sentimentally, uh, I think that would have been more for him. But there he was, sitting in the stands, Patiently sitting on 99. No room for the occasion for Clayton McMillan. It's about the business. Here's a young lad from Gore who spent those very important secondary school years at Christ's, one of the great institutions. He was uh, most, uh, one of their most celebrated syrupers, apparently, whatever that means. I uh, never thought for one second he'd be playing or living in Hamilton, the city of the future, whatever that means. But in all seriousness, he should be a poster boy for New Zealand rugby because Damien McKenzie is what is all good about the sport. Enthusiastic, entertaining, 
physical, even at 80 kegs uh, ringing wet. Never a dull moment with ball in hand, and of course, the wicked goal-kicking smile, a trademark. Probably won't start for the All Blacks this campaign, but will be the best impact player off the bench in this upcoming World Cup. We don't have Friday tipples on the show because we don't drink on the job, but if we did, we'd be raising a glass to you, DMAC, you little champion. And I reckon the Cowboys will be ringing for you when you lead the team out onto Allianz Stadium in Sydney tonight. It'd have been louder last weekend in Hamilton, but I'll jump off that hobby horse now. Let's hope we see a spectacle that those pesky Waratahs um, against them, which will be allowed to flow so D-Mac can flow. And half a dozen evil smiles as he lines up conversions will be just the finishing tonic. 100 for Damien at, at the age of 27. How many more? How many more? For such a special player. Nine oh seven here on SENZ. The All Whites goal-scoring drought continues following their little draw with China last night. Uh, currently ranked uh, number eighty, uh, China in the FIFA World Cup rankings. Meanwhile, New Zealand uh, sit at one hundred and five. But despite the gap, the All Whites, uh, led by interim coach uh, Darren Baisley, have shown they can be a quality side even with ten men on the park for the final thirty minutes. And joining us now to uh, assess what uh, he made of last night's performance uh, is SENZ. Um, he works, uh, of course, for Sky Sport, and he's also uh, part of their commentary team as well. And uh, former All Whites goalkeeper, of course, Jacob Spoonley, a regular on the show. Uh, good morning to you, Jacob. Tommy Smith's 50th match for the All Whites uh, ended with a red card in the 63rd minute, but he kind of had no doubt uh, a, a bit to take that penalty, right? Uh, he had to do it. Good morning, Smithy. Yeah, I reckon we can chalk up as an SENZ regular, mate. So, so we'll go with that moving forward. Uh, Tommy, was it was really unfortunate. Um, he was so excited to step out on that field with Chris Wood being absent. He was wearing the captain's armband. Um, and he had his parents at the, stay, uh, at the ground and he'd also flown over his wife uh, and his two kids, young Keegan and his nine-week-old daughter. So not only did not go the way he was planning, but he really seems to have been robbed of this really special milestone and the ability to celebrate it. In terms of what happened itself, in the second half, Nando Finica got on the ball and he was under a little bit of pressure, so he's played it back and it was a bit of a wayward pass. It wasn't necessarily directed at Smith um, and it wasn't all the way back to Ollie Sale. Um, so it was just slightly beyond Smith. There was a bit of miscommunication, a bit of indecision, and ultimately that resulted in Tommy Smith pulling down China's arguably best player in Wu Lei as he made his way towards Cole. Uh, so a disappointing end for the evening for Tommy Smith. Yeah, very, very sad um, in that respect uh, when you consider what was uh, at stake for him. How did you feel the All Whites rallied after he left? I think the response was, by and large, pretty positive. Um, they were down to 10 men, and their task was made even harder by the fact that this Chinese team does finish strongly. In World Cup qualifying before last year's World Cup, they'd scored eight of their nine goals in the second half, five of which had come in the last 10 minutes. So obviously, obviously this team is determined, and they can go right to the end. They've got that physical capability, um, which means that they do put themselves in the shot window at the latter stages of games. 
they did actually control the Chinese rather well. There were a couple of big saves that Ali Shah did have to make in order to defend the clean sheet, but the all-whites weren't without their own chances. Um, but due to the travel and the short turnaround between arriving in New Zealand and kick-off, you definitely saw fatigue take hold of the team in the latter stages, compounded by the fact that they did not have the numerical parity any longer. Do you kind of uh, feel this is one that, that got away? I mean, what about our goal-scoring uh, chances last night, our options last night up front? Yeah, look, I think there's an explanation that needs to be provided, but ultimately this is another game where goals have not been scored. So I think if we put it in context, we're playing decent opposition. The Chinese team are a team that is probably a second-tier team in Asia. They're the 11th best. Um, we started the game very brightly, and we have some exciting young talent. So Matt Garbutt again stood out for the All-Whites. The big $50 million hole, though, was up front. No Chris Wood. I hadn't been able to overcome that hematoma that he suffered for Nottingham Forest. And the thing that is noticeable, although we do talk about the depth in this generation and in this squad, up front, there isn't a ready-made replacement for Chris Wood just yet. The likes of Ben Wayne, Max Mudder and Alex Grieve, they're all sitting there waiting in the wings and each of those players is 23 or under. So they do have promise and they will get better, but at the moment they just don't necessarily have the ability to step in and fill uh, Chris Wood's shoes. Um, so Max Mudder, I think it was a good experience for him last night. He did play well, um, but potentially just not as sharp and decisive as you'd expect um, from someone like Chris Wood. Who do you feel were the uh, standouts for the All-Whites last night? I think there are a number of players that did play very well. Libby Kikache, again, he's, uh, he's akin to a great white shark, Smithy. He charges down that left-hand side. He moves with such power and purpose, and he is so decisive in what he wants to do. You can literally see him changing gears, and he seems to always find one that is more than a defender to handle, regardless of who he's playing. But for me, and we made a lot about it on the broadcast last night, Matt Garbett, the Torino player that is playing in Holland on loan at the moment to get game time, you are so surprised that he is only 20 years old. The game is never too fast for him. He has a wonderful technical ability. He's got that physical capability where he is very much a thoroughbred in the same mould as Lenny Kikache. And then he's got this brightness to his game. He's got this confidence that he plays with. He wants the balls in tight spaces because he backs his ability to control those confrontations. And then also, he wants to put stress on opponents. He really wants to make the back line um, in a, put them in a position of uncertainty. What are they going to do? And if they bite on one option, he'll use another. So I think we can expect him to retain his spot down in Wellington. The Whites might go with a slightly different approach in order to get those goals, but he was one that really did stand out for me last night. And I think, finally, the trifecta the, to round it out Although he was involved in the red card, Ollie Sale did come up with some big saves, which is what you need your goalkeeper to do when you are down to 10 men. Uh, he was able to pull on the armband for the first time um, for the All-Whites as well, which was great to see, and I'm sure that he and his family enjoyed that moment in his hometown of Auckland. Mm, interesting. Joe Bell, 
uh, the experience of Joe Bell and Clayton Lewis coming on in the second uh, second half. What impact do you feel uh, was a result of that? Well, we did see uh, a shift from Darren Basley. Obviously, there had to be an adjustment after going down to 10 men. And that did come with a defensive or a, a game management focus. So Joe Bell and Clayton Lewis, they were introduced first and foremost. Um, and I think Joe Bell... He provided some energy and he provided some combativeness in that midfield because although Marcus Samanich, um had done a wonderful job up until that point and Alex Rufa returning to the side had provided that disruptive element, they were waning slightly. And you can understand why because Marco did join the squad only on Wednesday morning, early Wednesday morning, 1am I think he arrived in Auckland. So he would have been feeling the effects of jet lag and what Joe Bell and Clayton Lewis were able to provide is that, that certainty. They, they provided that experience um, in the midfield and some much-needed reinforcement. Added to them the likes of Dane Ingham and Michael Boxall, who rounded out the match. They were really brought in as closers to ensure the All-Whites came away with a share of the spoils. Right, let's uh, look at the next game then. Uh, as you say in Wellington, Chris Wood, what chance? Not sure at the moment. Um, it's a, quite a, a, a tightly held conversation. Um, so he did join us for the broadcast last night. Um, didn't want to discuss that in too much detail. He can understand why. He wants to keep the Chinese on their toes. And what I can say is that he is desperate to get on the field. <laughs> we, we touched on the fact that he was suspended for the games against Mexico back in 2013. He had that hamstring injury. Um, when he wanted to step out on the field in Wellington against Peru in the intercontinental playoff. And then against Australia, he had to come off early as well. So he's had a terrible run of injuries and not being able to play in front of his um, adoring home fans. I think he'll do everything in his power to be available in Wellington. Okay, so uh, if we look overall here, overall, um, and take a... It's quite a deep and meaningful question, this one, uh, Jacob, for you. I'm going to spring on you. Uh, where, does, where, does this, um, where, where does this current crop of players sit in all-white history? Where, where do you think, in terms of... If you look across the park, this unit, if they were, if they were you know, a regular unit, is this the best unit you think we've ever had? For me, this generation has the most breadth and depth so there are players that can step up and fill shoes and those players are coming from the professional ranks we've never seen as many professionals in this country as we do now um, the breadth we've got the ability to be very varied we've got options and we can change games with the players that we do have you can take out the likes of Matt Garbett uh, and Alex Grieve who provide that physical presence and you can insert Ryan Thomas and Sarpreet Singh and Marco Rojas, who are your creative, attack-minded, very technical players. And we haven't been able to do that in the past. The thing that separates this current squad and why a lot of the chat is speculative at the moment is the achievement isn't there. They got very close against Costa Rica. They were uh, his width away from getting through to the World Cup. They in order to join the likes of the 2010 and the 1982 All-Whites, they will need to go to the World Cup and put in results um, to join the conversation in that rarefied era, the top tier of All-Whites history. But the elements are there, so the ingredients are present, and that's why people are talking positively about this team, 
despite the fact that the ball hasn't gone into the back of the net in five matches. Right, yeah, and that is, uh, at the end of the day, quite a key thing. So that leads me to my next uh, deeper meaningful, and that's about the coaching role. Uh, what are you seeing now um, uh, about the, this um, temporary tenureship of uh, Darren Baisley, um, and what are we thinking for the future now? Uh, what, when, and when are we expecting an announcement? Not sure at the moment, Smitty. I think um, two things. Uh, New Zealand Football said that they would have a coach in the role um, before now. Um, the other thing is there's no real rush. The World Cup is in 2026. So if they have leads on people that they want to uh, look at for the role, they can take their time. And included in that is taking the time to give Darren Baisley an audition. Uh, he's the person in the role at the moment. We've seen a continuation of the patterns, of the, the approach that was present under Danny Hay when he was an assistant coach. I think what Bays will be looking for now is an elevation from the team. We've seen the lovely technical play. We've seen the build-up play from this side. It now needs to be converted into something tangible, into goals and into results. So he'll be thinking about how he can demonstrate that down in Wellington. And it could be a formation change. It could be a little bit of tinkering with the personnel. Um, but I'm sure that ambition will be front of mind for him. And let's be honest about it, Smithy. Not all of the other candidates that are being considered have the opportunity that Darren Baisley has at the moment. So it, mm. is, it does put him in a, a position of strength, you could argue, that an audition and a positive one um, could be very beneficial for his uh, campaign to get that job permanently. What did you make of Mount Smart as a venue? Because there is conjecture that uh, with uh, an A-League, another A-League team uh, coming to New Zealand, principally to Auckland, uh, that'll be home. I think it makes sense, Smithy. Um, Eden Park is very much the home of rugby, uh, and it's not quite fit for purpose if you want to put a club team in there. It needs to be a rectangular stadium. It needs to be a stadium that can create atmosphere. And we saw a wonderful atmosphere at Mount Smart last night. Um, and it was great to see one of New Zealand's largest migrant communities show up en masse to support um, the home of many of those, uh, many of the places they birth. Uh, so I think Mount Smart will probably ultimately be the landing ground um, for this Auckland franchise, at least initially. North Harbour Stadium is probably too far north. Um, so... We could see this Auckland franchise playing there for a couple of years, but as we've discussed in the past, in order for this franchise to be as successful as it possibly can be, probably need to start hunting around for some land downtown. Right. I think I like that concept. I really do, if there is some. Um, here's, uh, just before we let you go, the New Zealand Professional Footballers Association has a total of 23 signed shirts up for a charity auction on Trade Me right now. Can you tell us a wee bit more about that, please? I can, mate. I'm the one that's in charge of that enterprise. Um, we had a discussion with our board. Uh, so our board consists of Ali Riley, Vic S. Amelia Steinmetz, Chris Wood, Ollie Sale and Joe Bell. And a touch base with the All Whites representatives um, before this window. They were keenly aware of the devastation uh, and destruction that was caused by Cyclone Gabrielle and they wanted to do something. So it's a very simple um, idea. It's a small gesture, but it is a really important and powerful one. The footballers, a lot of whom are overseas, want to connect with New Zealand and want to do something to help. So they have each, apart from Tommy Smith, brought home a club jersey, and Tommy's brought back his all-whites jersey that 
he played in for the World Cup qualifiers last year. All of these shirts are now live um, on Trade Me auctions. Uh, and in the first two hours alone, collectively, we've already raised $3,000. So a wonderful start, but I know New Zealand can do better. And if you go to Trade Me, um, you need to search All White Cyclone Relief Auction. So that's All White Cyclone Relief Auction. There are shirts, club shirts, from Marcus Staminich, Matt Garbett, Libby Kakache, uh, Chris Wood, Michael Boxall, so Nottingham Forest, Torino, Empoli, uh, Minnesota United. Um, they are all there, and the players have signed them. Um, we will get photos up with the players at some point so you can see them and, and make them real. Uh, and it is a wonderful uh, gesture from these players, and uh, we hope to raise money that will go towards not only the footballing communities, but the communities being so affected on the East Coast uh, in Hawke's Bay. Um, and those regions... Uh, are places that you cannot write New Zealand football history without. So the players understand this and they want to give back. Cool. Great concept. Uh, great gesture. Uh, people of Hawke's Bay and um, those affected certainly uh, will appreciate that, Jacob, uh, as I, I, I do personally. And uh, I also thank you for your time this morning on your review of last night's performance. Look forward to Wellington. Cheers, man. Thank you. No problem, Smitty. Thanks, mate. Cheers, 9.24 here on SCNZ. Jacob Spoonley there. Sir, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Stuck in traffic, uh, says Callum, uh, this morning. Where is Foxy at uh, in his match play event? Well, he is uh, beaten. He was beaten by Andrew Putnam, so that means uh, Putnam's won two out of the two in his group. Uh, Foxy has won one. Will uh, Zalatoris... Uh, of course, has not won one at all yet. So um, Foxy will have to beat Will Zalatoris and hope that uh, Putnam gets beaten, but I'm not sure if that will be enough to get him through either. So beaten this morning, uh, Ryan Fox. Uh, Chris says DMAC should have sat this week out as well and played his 100th against the Blues at home next week. That would have been a great occasion, wouldn't it? Absolutely fantastic. Uh, watch the ball, the All-Whites game. Uh, not got frustrated with the back passes. No wonder we don't score goals. Every time we made a fast break, it would reach the midfield and stop, then back pass and pass along the back line for five minutes before lumping it along. Was constantly screaming, get it in the box. Get it in the box, yeah. Um, that is a, a thing. It's all about retaining position, really. Retaining position is so, so important, and that means uh, quite often going backwards. It's not just the all-whites. I mean, if you watch uh, football around the world, that is a real trend. To, to hold on to position, you've got to go backwards. Uh, more so, it seems, than forwards uh, often. Uh, 9.30 here. We'll go to uh, Araha, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk to one of the winners uh, last night, uh, Susie Bates, uh, ANZ One Day International Women's Player of the Year. Just how big is her trophy cabinet, I wonder. Uh, we'll find out very shortly.
9.33 here on SENZ uh, Sports News Desk. I think we might uh, pop across there momentarily. Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the Sports Desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. There goes my hero. And uh, <laughs> one of the uh, stories on the Sports Desk is a genuine hero as well. Um, the great Seb Coe. What's going on here? Yes, Lord Coe has uh, done a big update here from uh, World Athletics today, Smithy. Big question that's probably been on a lot of people's minds uh, heading into Paris 2024. Are we going to see Russian and Belarusian athletes and officials there? Well, here is the answer. Uh, the World Athletics Council has already uh, made a number of important decisions regarding the future participation of the Russian and Belarusian uh, Athletics Federations and the amendment of eligibility regulations for athletes uh, who are transgender uh, and who have differences of sexual development, DSD. Uh, the Council agreed to the reinstatement of the Russian Federation, RUSAF, following seven years of suspension. Uh, and that, of course, was due to the egregious institutional doping violations. However, athletes, officials and supporting personnel from Russia and Belarus are still excluded from competition for the foreseeable future due to Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine. So there you have it. No Russian, no Belarusian athletes or officials. Smithy, probably, I mean, the decision that I think most people would be backing. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a fair caller. I mean, you just can't have them at the moment. And, you know, things have got to change quite drastically before that happens. The, the transgender thing, too, I think, is, is uh, becoming a very raw topic with a lot of people. Uh, but uh, good to have some finality around that, too. Yeah, the, they do delve a little bit deeper into that. Before we get into it, I just want to sort of explain, I guess, the uh, the acronyms when they talk about transgender and DSD athletes. DSD uh, stands for Athletes with Differences of Sexual Development, uh, and this refers to just sort of differencing in you know chromosome um, count in their body, so not transgender, something completely different. Uh, but this is what Sibco had to say on the ban. Uh, let me now move on to uh, the DSD uh, and transgender regulations. The World Athletics Council has today taken the decisive action to protect the female category uh, in our sport uh, and to do so by restricting the participation of transgender and DSD athletes. The decision was taken in consultation with a number of stakeholders, including 40 member federations, our coaches, our athletes, and through the Athletes Commission, as well as a range of other community groups, including trans groups, UN experts, the International Olympic Committee, and para-athletics. Let me, if I may, start with the transgender athletes. The majority of those consulted uh, stated that transgender athletes should not be competing in the female category. Many believe there is insufficient evidence that trans women do not retain advantage over biological women and more, more evidence than any physical advantages have been ameliorated before they are willing to consider an option for inclusion into the female category. Unlike DSD athletes, 
there are no transgender athletes competing in international competition in athletics and no observations therefore exist uh, from the front line, in our case, the field of play, across the different disciplines that are specific to our sport, i.e. endurance running, sprints, throws, jumps, and road events. Where the science is insufficient to justify maintaining testosterone suppression for transgender athletes, the council agreed it must be guided by our overarching principle, which is to protect the female category. <clears throat> we cannot, in all conscience, leave our transgender regulations as they were at five nanomoles per litre for at least one year when we were unsure about the impact of doing so across all our disciplines. So we need to know more, and we need to know more now. Smithy, I this move is huge coming from World Athletics. You know, earlier this month, uh, we had Candice Riley come on to talk about how much these kind of actions and, you know, having policies going for just inclusion and not worrying about how it might affect female athletes and the impact that that's having on uh, women in sport has been massive. So for World Athletics to kind of follow the similar line to FINA, the uh, swimming body, governing body, I think it's great news. Well, it is. I remember that interview with Candice Riley. Um, she was very emotional about it, desperate almost, uh, on the basis that it's just not fair for women. Um, you know, and, and, and most of those events, it's just anything that involves strength, uh, or power it is simply just not fair and I could hear it in her voice um, so people uh, who are advocating this will be absolutely uh, I would imagine thrilled this morning to wake up to, to hear that kind of thing come from Lord Coe yeah absolutely um, and I, I think a lot needs to still be done of course to work towards um, inclusivity for you know transgender athletes but I think blind inclusion clearly doesn't seem to be the answer well that's not what uh, a lot of female athletes seem to feel about that. But moving on to the boxing side of things, mm. Smithy, uh, are you a big fan of the Gypsy King, Tyson Fury? I am. I am, actually. Uh, I wouldn't say he's the greatest boxer I've ever seen. In fact, uh, his physique uh, makes me laugh a wee bit, and it's uh, <laughs> someone who shouldn't be looking in the mirror himself. But he's the biggest man I've ever seen with the skinniest legs I've ever seen. Uh, he's, <laughs> but, man, uh, he is he's so good. He is just so good for the sport because he... Is so positive. He portrays it well. He's a showman. They carry him in on those that uh, you know that big platform that they have, and then he sings at the end of it. I mean, <laughs> he is the ultimate show. Um, but at the end of the day, he's still a world champion, looking to for unification. But uh, what's happened there? What am I hearing? Oh, well, firstly, I just, as soon as you said that about um, his physique, my mind immediately goes back to I think it was 2017, and he stands up in a press conference and he jiggles his. Uh, you know, his beer garden. He's like, does this look like a fighter's body to you? Oh, <laughs> he's a legend. Yes, the WBC heavyweight champion was locked in with talks uh, with his rival uh, Alex uh, Alexander Usyk for an undisputed heavyweight battle that would uh, unite four bouts at Wembley Stadium on April 29. It's not happening now. Such is the way of boxing, and he is let rip on Instagram. Usyk, you little sh** house. You proper little sh** bag, bog-eyed, gappy-teethed, ugly little rat, you little slimy tried all week to get out of it, begging for a rematch like a little girl, you got your rematch and didn't even want to fight at that, you little always know 
that you was never man enough to tangle with a gypsy king ever in your life you little sh you little 14 stone coward you little and you rat little and your full team know it as well and all the lawyers have got the full information you little ugly keep running fight your part of the copper box now and always know that you or anybody else like you could never tangle with the gypsy king you most little coward I counted I think there was about 13 <laughs> in total someone was stitched together but about a 13 uh, censored words <laughs> He sound, his voice, you see, the other thing about his voice, he could be 80, if you listen to him. He could be 80, uh, 80 years of age, but my God, what a character. Uh, so I wonder who sick feels about that. Oh, God, that's funny. Uh, one person, of course, in the Team Smithy who is big on combat sports and boxing uh, is our own Brian Lardy. Can you uh, share a bit more on the situation? Yeah, hey, um, welcome to boxing, eh? It's a bit of a farce. They don't, never do themselves any favours not putting up the best fighters against each other while they're both in their prime. And this is just another uh, another time it's gone and happened. I remember, remember when they tried to get Pacquiao and uh, Floyd, and that didn't happen until they were both sort of past it. And this is the same thing's happening with Canelo. He's taking Triple G. They're taking on each other when they're both past it. And... We never get to see the, who the true, uh, who the true baddest man on the planet is. Uh, back to Tyson Fury, though. How great for the game is he? The man can talk. The man's got everything. Swagger. He's just everything the game needs, apart from the the fight, which is the most disappointing part. <laughs> Brian, I can tell you, you're so damn passionate about the whole thing. I, I love it, but you know, I, I, I just, as you say, um, where would he sit? I mean. I, I, Muhammad Ali was the greatest. I, you know, I, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. And, it, it, you know, he was known for saying that. And, but similar in that they, uh, they actually, they both backed it up with their ability to fight. They both can do that. Um, so where does Tyson Fury sit for you, Brian, in all time? All time. In all time. I think it, I think that's a bit of a generational thing there, eh? Because I would put him in the top. He's probably top three for me. Uh, Tyson being my top one just because when I was a teenager, he was scary. Scary, scary. Um, and probably uh, for me, um, Lennox Lewis, number two. And then I'd probably go the Gypsy King. Uh, if he was to actually have this fight and beat Usyk, I'd put him probably number one. Right. Okay. Interesting. Not sure. Well, maybe that'll fire Usyk up if we can understand half of it. That'll be good. <laughs> uh, moving on in the sports desk, Smithy, because the uh, New Zealand Cricket Awards uh, were last night, uh, and one award that got a, uh, put out yesterday for the very first time was the Debbie Hockley Medal, and it's one that I know that you've been championing for for a long time, and you're not alone. Uh, I'm very pleased uh, to be here tonight to present the award that does bear my name. But I would like to say two things. Firstly, I'd like to congratulate New Zealand Cricket on making the two supreme awards available, one for men and one for women. It was absolutely the right decision, so well done. It levels the playing field uh, so that women can be acknowledged for their efforts in a significant way. Under the old structure, men play more games than women, particularly with three formats available. Therefore, men have more opportunity to excel and challenge 
for the for top recognition. I'm also pleased, Debbie, to see your name associated with your award. Over the last 13 years, sadly, no woman cricketer has won the Sir Richard Hadley Supreme Award. So I think what I'm saying tonight proves a point, the need for two Supreme Awards. That, of course, was the voice of Sir Richard Hadley, the great man himself, on Spark Sport last night, Smithy. No, very apt words, uh, very apt words, and it couldn't, I couldn't say it even uh, any better myself. So um, he summed it up uh, quite beautifully there. I mean, uh, and the fact of the matter is um, women in this country uh, of the modern era have not been able to play test cricket. It's just not been on their calendar. I hope someday they will. Um, but they have not been able to, and uh, that is very much a part of the judging criteria when it comes to uh, an all-round cricketer. So uh, 9.46 here on SENZ. Field, summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the hole Know when the fold Smithy's multi. Know when the walk away Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, today we're going to go uh, the Warriors to beat the Bulldogs. This is a weekend one, of course, uh, at $1.80. Really confident about uh, our one New Zealand Warriors. Uh, Highlanders to beat the Drua at $1.37. I think uh, Drua have been playing uh, such good rugby of late. They will threaten the Highlanders, but long trip down to Dunedin. Uh, might not be their cup of tea. So I'm kind of figuring the Highlanders on the improve, getting players back uh, a little bit more, $1.37. Uh, the Storm to beat the Tigers at, at $1.31, although, goodness me, how hard is it to pick the NRL at the moment? What about last night again? Uh, the Storm to beat the Tigers, $1.31. Um, and uh, a horse one, I've been encouraged by uh, certain people to put this one in because they think it's an absolute certainty, and it's only $1.35. But Ku Cullen to win Rickard and Race 4 tomorrow at $1.35. So get the fixed on that if you can. Um, uh, if you want to, to throw it in your multi. But uh, they say it's a very, very good thing. $4.36. The Warriors, the Highlanders, the Storm into Ku Cullen. $4.36. Quite clearly, uh, Susie wasn't uh, able to answer her phone this morning. So we missed out on Susie Bates. But uh, we're going to talk, uh, hopefully, to Heath Mills after 11 o'clock. Um, maybe the White Ferns had a big, big celebration last night. Maybe they did. It's 9.52 here on SENZ. Fully aware of um, the uh, scenario that I alluded to uh, in the sermon, mate. Uh, I am the second uh, person that's texted in about that. Um, but, yeah, I'm fully aware of that story. Um, Brad has come in and said, if you get a chance, hop on to the PGA Tour's Instagram page and you'll see the video of Foxy fishing for bass in the lake at the Dell match play. <laughs> Great watch. Um, wouldn't surprise. Absolutely loves fishing, apparently. Absolutely loves fishing right up there with golf. Uh, to be perfectly honest, makes a bit more out of golf. Um, but, yeah, very interesting um, that, that he'd do that. Uh, Foxy is um, just so... I, th- I just think America is such a good fit for him. I, I think the PGA Tour, the US PGA Tour, he's done his time and he's, he's proved his, his worth and he's uh, got to the point where his ranking is so damn good. Um it would just be great, I think, from our point of view, to see him more often playing against these great golfers on a regular basis, and we'd see so much more of him. And I'm very, very confident because of the, how far he can hit a golf ball that he would go well on the US PGA Tour, uh, make a lot of money, and have a lot of fun. Uh, 
Right, uh, after 10 o'clock, uh, we will definitely be talking to uh, Luca Connor. Uh, Luca, Chiefs Manawa Hooker. Big game tomorrow, Manawa Matatu. And that, of course, is at uh, FNG Stadium in Hamilton at 2.05 tomorrow afternoon. So uh, make sure you, uh, if you can't get there, you can watch that on Sky Television, of course. Um, and also in the next hour, we'll be talking to uh, Lavina Good and to Sam Ackerman. Uh, a lot to talk about in uh, rugby league circles. Uh, and then, of course, after 11 o'clock this morning, uh, we'll be talking to Heath Mills, New Zealand Cricket Players Association Chief Executive. He won the Burt Sutcliffe Medal for Services to Cricket last night at the awards uh, in Auckland. Great to have uh, those awards live with all the uh, fellowship together because uh, COVID wrecked it for two to three years. 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, yesterday we heard from Matatu coach uh, Blair Baxter and their incredible turnaround to go from winless in the first season of Super Rugby Orpiki to being a finalist. This time around, in Saturday afternoon's grand final, they'll take on the undefeated Chiefs Manawa, coached by Crystal Koa. And uh, they're not shy about putting on those points, this team either, scoring at uh, an average rate of about 40. Um, and they have been simply superb again in trying to defend their title. And one player who's been a star for Chiefs Manawa is uh, Blackburn's hooker, Luca Connor. And earlier, producer Logan Swinkles caught up with her ahead of tomorrow's final. SCNZ. Joining me now on SNZ Mornings is the pride of Eastern Bay Plenty Chiefs Manawa hooker, Luca Connor. Luca, how are you feeling heading into this grand final? Um, very excited. Um, can't wait to get out there and just go play some rugby and just play women's rugby at the Strangers. Love it. Uh, last year, of course, you know, it wasn't like the ideal uh, launch for Opiki with the COVID disruptions, uh, shortening the season, putting it in Talpo. Being able to come together for, you know, a more like normal season, how big has that been for the team? It's been massive, yeah. Last year, obviously, was quite disrupted and we ended up running the isolation. So to be able to come in most of the week and then go back and train in our own group and then regather has been really cool. Um, so we do our work away and then come back in and it's just been a really good um, flow once we get into that routine and it's just pretty exciting to see in the future how this um, hopefully competition grows. Yeah, as I mean, as it looks to grow, you know, we'll get to that in the future. But with like the training time, uh, you know, limited in Opeki, you know, you've got players mm. juggling day jobs, motherhood, all sorts of things. How does the team look to, you know, make the most of their time together to improve that chemistry both on and off the field? Yeah. Uh, it's definitely hard for a lot of our girls, so most of them are full-time, so we have girls who actually have to leave straight after the game sometimes because they're on night shift that night or that morning, mm. and then obviously we've got a few mothers in the team, so it's pretty full-on for most of the girls, but we're pretty lucky we have opportunity where some mothers can bring in their children in the camp, um, which helps a lot. So we have actually a nanny who's with us, so we have a few girls who bring in their kids, but 
it definitely uh, juggles for those ladies who've got to do this work straight away after playing. And some girls are doing 40-hour weeks before even coming into camp. So it's pretty full-on for them. Wow. It's cool to hear that, uh, yeah, Chiefs Manawas do provide that kind of supportive uh, environment for things like that. For you, what what do you have to juggle? I'm quite lucky. So I uh, I just go back to training. Um, so that's my current job. So doing rugby training throughout the days um, when I'm back in Tauranga. So I'm very privileged to be in that position. And then just training with the girls after work as well and trying to work together. So we all kind of on the same page. And from your experience, how much has your approach changed, say, in the last couple of years? You know, as, as women's rugby goes further into the professional realm, are you looking to spend, are you spending more time, you know, looking at the numbers and, you know, finding ways to improve and different training techniques and all that sort of thing? I think so. It's definitely becoming more professional and just like this competition, it's really exciting where girls are being paid for the short stint of um, being able to play rugby and you just see the amount of talent that's around at the moment in this competition and it's really exciting and to get better resources and just be able to play some good rugby you can see on the field that it's improved so much. Um, it's really exciting for the future and just like this weekend we hope to just put on a great display of women's rugby. Speaking, you know, the talent that's on show there, Chiefs Manawa, yet to lose a game uh, since Opiki's inception. Do you do you feel that pressure heading into this final? Um, I guess just like any pressure, it's a privilege. So it's more of just focusing on our team and what we do. But obviously there's that pressure there. But I guess if we just all do our roles and got to really enjoy the moment as well, so embrace it. We get to be at home, which is unreal mm. and exciting for us to play in front of our families. But I guess just take that pressure and just run with it. And you're putting up uh, as a team at least 40 points each game this season. In your eyes, what, what do you reckon is making this Chiefs Manawa side tick the way it is? I believe it's um, our connection on our team. So off the field, in our environment, everyone can see themselves and we have a very cultured group and it's just really the connection on and off the field and we have that trust that everyone on our team is doing the work when they're not together and then once they come together on the field, it just naturally flows and I guess it's just we get the freedom to express ourselves on the field, which you don't really get that in many teams. So it's quite exciting that our coaches um, back us to back ourselves. And uh, looking at the forward pack you have there, you know, with yourself uh, and the number two jersey, what do you like to do to put yourself out and put the team in the best possible position to, you know, set up a platform for that thrilling attack in rugby? I think that's exactly it. So me focusing on my role um, individually and making sure I do everything I can to put my best foot forward for the team. And like you say, as a forward, our job is, get that platform so if we're going backwards you know the back won't have a good ball so it's just us doing those little one percenters and just trying to get the backs the best ball so then we can get those wingers out wide showing off and scoring some tries hopefully in the corner. (laughs) Uh, What impact has Greg Smith had on improving the set pieces this year because that's 
one uh, thing that I keep seeing pop up is just how much applause people give uh, the Chiefs of Manoa for those set pieces. Yeah, our set pieces have been great and Greece has been really good in those areas. Um, it's quite funny because most of us girls say how hard our scrum trainings are against each other. <laughs> um, us girls are pushing each other and it's real intense when we're doing scrummaging. So to be able to do that at training, um, putting us under that load, it just makes it a lot easier once we're in the game. And I guess that's our bread and butter. And if we can keep improving on that, it's going to make things a lot easier for game day. And you yourself, Luca, you've been enjoying a pretty, like, it's been awesome to watch. How much do you feel your game has improved since that Black Ferns World Cup campaign? Um, I feel like just keep working on the little things myself and just having the freedom to be able to play and the coaches trusting in us to make decisions on the field. And it feels like we can just play rugby and everyone's got your back in this environment. So I just keep working on my little things and then it's awesome just to go out on the field with my mates and be able to express ourselves. And looking at the Maratu for Saturday, you're likely going up against uh, Georgia Ponsonby. What are you looking forward to about that matchup? Just like anything, it's um, always good to play against people you've been in the same team as. So just looking forward to the front row battle, the scrum and line out battle, and the physicality, really. So up front battle with like anything, you know, got to put the best foot forward, and it's going to be a exciting one. Um, I spoke with uh, with uh, Brent Coart towards the start of the season. I know you've got a lot of experience there under him, but with them, with both uh, Brent and Crystal coming in to the Chiefs Manawa, they have so much experience in women's rugby. Working together, though, like husband and wife, how does that coaching dynamic work for you guys as the players? Um, to be honest, it's awesome. You wouldn't even know the difference um, to any other coaching staff there great humans first and they really push us to be better humans rather than just rugby players so it's pretty much taking what they teach us off the field onto the field and it's very um, exciting and you enjoy the company as coaches and as great people so Mm. I think they're doing an awesome job. Nice and of course there's this awesome sister v sister battle uh, between Chelsea and Alana Bremner happening uh, <laughs> yeah. as well. Chelsea's come into the Chiefs of Manawa from the Matatu this season. How has she gelled with the team <laughs> yeah. since coming in? Um, it's funny because we all had a good laugh about it. Um, told her she came to the Naughty North um, <laughs> in the light. So we always talk about the little battle word. I think after watching the last game, she had a fire in her belly to um, go against her old teammates. So I feel like she's doing amazing and just enjoying this environment. She said it's a big change. Um, she can be herself here, and it's just exciting to see her um, growing as a person and opening up in our team, and can't wait to see her and her sister go head to head. I'll tell you one thing. We had uh, the Maratu coach, Blair Baxter, on the show yesterday, and uh, I, I think he was a bit tongue-in-cheek when he said it, but he said that they're lucky enough to have the best Bremner. How do you reckon Chelsea would react to that? Oh, I tell her that one. Um, <laughs> I don't think she won't like that one. Definitely, uh, looks like she might be staying up north for FPC if she is that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And then, uh, after the final, 
what are you looking to do to keep you know yourself game ready um, for when the Black Ferns play again in June? Um, so it's pretty much after this, hopefully just a week off, go back home, refresh, see the family, and then just straight back into training, really, just working on all of the little things and just enjoying um, the content that we're hopefully given to work on and then just getting ready for the first Blackburns camps um, and just yeah, getting back into, instead of playing against each other, we're going to be hopefully playing with each other, so just all more from there. Uh, we're speaking with Luca Connor from the Chiefs, Manawa. Now, Luca, just looking at the competition uh, as a whole, you know, women's rugby rode such a high last year with that World Cup. The hope being that Opeki could capture that energy and build upon the interest. Do you think that's happening? I definitely do. So it's been amazing to see the amount of support we've been getting around our Opeki games. We've been having young boys and girls coming to the games and just excited to see the girls and get signatures and photos and also their parents as well. So I just hope the energy stays there and everyone comes down this weekend and you don't want to miss it. Yeah, definitely. Love that. I'll leave it at there because that's an awesome message. Luca, uh, all the best for the final. Good luck. Thank you so much. Yeah, cool interview. Lovely uh, person, uh, Luca Connor there, and uh, doing great things uh, for women's rugby. Yes, that showpiece, folks, uh, let's remind you, it's tomorrow. Uh, it's abbreviated season. Um, it should really go longer, shouldn't it? Uh, they're fully justified with the quality they produce in that, uh, a season twice as long as that. But uh, for this season anyway, it all ends tomorrow uh, at 2.05 FMG Stadium. Uh, that is, of course, in Hamilton where the Chiefs uh, and Manawa are at home to the Matatu. Can they pull off a major surprise? That would be special. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Uh, also look forward to a panel very shortly with Lavina Good and Sam Ackerman. Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, this morning we've got a very strong league panel. We've got Lavina Good and Sam Ackerman. This could be quite competitive. I'm going to start with uh, you, Lavina Good. What about this NRL? How, how are we predicting their scores here? The Eels 17, the Panthers 16. What is going on? Uh, we're into, what, round four? It's staggering. Yeah, morning, morning, Smitty, and morning, Sam. Um, yeah, I stayed up late last night, actually, to, to watch the Eels. And, gosh, after having three opening defeats, only by four points, might I add, but a defeat is a defeat in the NRL. And then I, when I watched Nathan Cleary pop that one over, I thought, it's going to happen again. Going to be none from four for the Eels. But then it was the multi-million dollar man, Mitch Moses, that uh, just about earned a million dollars last night to secure that victory. And it was a replay also of the grand final from last year. I, I honestly thought the opening 40 minutes of that match was remarkable. And you don't have to be an Eels or even a Panthers fan to appreciate the game of rugby league. It was exceptionally intense, uh, very physical and very few mistakes. No bunker calls, which is quite nice as a rugby league fan. But yeah, in the end, Mitch Moses earned his pennies. It was a great game of football and interesting also both coaches come from Penrith if you think about it um, mm. you know so it was interesting that you know where where they were going from and what they w were doing but I'm really pleased that the Eels managed to secure the victory and earn me some money on the TAB mate I got my money back I got it back well and truly 
<laughs> well, uh, good morning to you too, Sam Ackerman. Uh, mate, you've followed this competition since the year dot, Sam. Let's be honest. Uh, and, you know, here we are at the beginning of round four. Have you ever seen results to match this? Uh, first of all, morning, uh, Smithy and Lavina. It, it is beautiful and sunny here in Tauranga, as, as Lavina can uh, back up. It's a, it's a charming day in the uh, the greatest city in the country. The, uh, the the fact of the matter is the NRL has long been unpredictable, uh, and tipping comps have been murderous for a long time. I've seen it as as tricky as this, uh, but if you if you'd set people down at the start of the year saying after four rounds this is going to be the situation pre-season, people have gone, no, nah, not going to happen. And the fact that we're talking about an un- undefeated uh, first-up derby between the Dolphins and the Broncos tonight, uh, the Eels going from grand finalist to desperate to get a uh, win after four rounds, but being in a knock over a Panthers side that should have been able to put them uh, to bed once they got into that uh, position. Hell, talking about a consistent Warriors team after three rounds, people wouldn't have bought that. So it is a, um, it is a, a, a hell of a comp. I think it's the, um, uh, the best one uh, around them. I am uh, biased and it's my favourite sport, but I'd, I've always uh, found an absolute nightmare. I, in fact, once did a, uh, a year or two of tipping myself versus uh, Samantha Hayes uh, in, a, uh, in a very public forum, uh, and it was uh, Sam versus Sam. She literally was picking, going, I'll take the Broncos because I like horses. Uh, and for most of the year, we found ourselves <laughs> neck and neck for. This is how this is how tough this competition is when you go against somebody who literally knows nothing and has no interest, God bless her, in knowing any more than she knew. Uh, it is a nightmare to go with. Well, stay on the subject, uh, Sam, with Dolphins versus uh, Broncos. Uh, Suncorp will be rocking, won't it? Oh, cannot, I, can't, I can't wait. I didn't think I'd be as excited about this game as I, um, as it uh, panned out. But you know, I've got to give the uh, the Dolphins their um, their due. Their <laughs> signs around uh, on on uh, newspapers in uh, Brisbane today. I'm told saying uh, "Welcome to Finland" for uh, the Dolphins. Uh, they're taken over. Uh, it has been a, a hell of a reception from them. They've delivered. Um, the, they are without um, the man they call Finn Diesel, uh, who's been leading the way for them uh, in police. He, he has uh, been bringing so much fire, but the New Zealanders involved in that franchise have done such a great job of establishing what this team is about, and the and the Bromwich brothers. And I've been blown away by uh, Jeremy uh, Marshall King as well. He has been outstanding with his opportunities before suspension at, at Dummy Half. So he, he's, I, I love what the Dolphins have done. I can't wait to see the energy. If you're not a fan of rugby league. I still recommend this to be a great game to watch, whether you're into the sport or not, because it's going to be a spectacle. There's going to be a vibe in that stadium, sold out, there, 52,000. I can't wait to see which way they go, because obviously Broncos have had the monopoly for so long in that city. To have a team that comes, you know, can genuinely bring a, 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 an alternative to them, it's, it's been intense uh, already just to build up. So I, I think it's got something special written over it. I would pick the Broncos. I still think they're going to get the uh, the job done with a little more experience. But the other team's coached by Wayne Bennett. Nothing's off Nothing's off the table. Nothing's off the cards. OK. Uh, Levine, I'd love your opinion on this as well because you love league and you love a great story and the Dolphins have produced both of that. Yeah, I love league. I love a great story. I do not love Wayne Bennett. He put in one of his best yeah, ever performances, did a la uh, Clint Eastwood on Thursday morning when he was harassed by several reporters asking for a comment on Kafusi not playing. He said, I don't want to make it a headline. That alone made it a headline. Uh, this is his 894th match. 30 
six years he has been in the industry and has been controlling proceedings. He's also the founding father of the Brisbane Broncos and still describes Lane Park as his home park. So it'll be an absolute cracker of a match. The spectacle itself to have 52,500 fans turn up for this, you know, Battle of Brisbane is outstanding. And it's interesting what um, Sam said in regards to the Kiwis and the performance and the efforts that they're putting in for the Broncos. It's just what Wayne Bennett does. He gets the best out of players. When you looked at, um, when you looked at his side at the beginning of the year, you would say to yourself, hey, the Dolphins are journeymen. They don't have the team that will take them through to the finals. But he always has that uncanny ability to control the match, control the media, control the game of rugby league. And I think it will be outstanding. Without Tafusi and King, I think it'll be really hard um, for the Dolphins to come through and topple the Broncos. But if you're up for a Friday night of entertainment, I highly recommend watching this match just for the smile from Wayne Bennett at the end, if he ever smiles. He never smiles for me, it, Sam. I don't know about you. Closer to a smirk, oh, isn't it? Gosh, Closer actually, to a smirk. If you, if, if, if you indulge me, I've got a little story on, on Wayne Bennett from the, uh, the, the mm. 2008 World Cup when he was, of course, the, the coordinator and I was, uh, I was covering the competition. I, I went all the way driving up, um, up north uh, a, couple of, a couple of hours out of Auckland to go there to try to get that first interview with Wayne Bennett. And they introduced me. They said, this is Sam. He's, he uh, covers the league a lot. Would you, you know? And he said to me, but he came to me and said, if I talk to you, the story's about me and not the players. I will speak to you only when the tournament's over if the Kiwis are winning the uh, holding the trophy. I said, all right, okay. And I, and for, I went, every time I saw him, I mentioned, let's get that interview. He goes, yep, Kiwis win the World Cup. Amazing. I go back to the team, go back to the team hotel. They're all filing back through. Wayne Bennett comes up. He's got a smile on his face. He's got a smirk, I think is the perfect way of putting it. And I said, Wayne, congratulations. Can I just get a few minutes to talk about that now? He puts his hand on my shoulder, looks me dead in the eye and goes, no. Nah. And walks past. So that's that's where <laughs> Wayne Bennett sits in my world. <laughs> I, I, I it was it was it was uh, as vintage a Wayne Bennett as you can possibly get, and I I, I don't forget that uh, not lightly. Uh, and I, uh, I I found myself barracking against him a bit more than uh, I was previously <laughs> since since that day. So yeah, that's that, that is Wayne Bennett in a nutshell to me. <laughs> the good news is you're over it, Sam. That's the main thing. I'm going to get. We're going to get to that for 20 years or anything. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, nah, I love it. 10:30 um, uh, here on SCNZ. We'll break for the news. Then we'll come back uh, and go Warrior specific with uh, Lavina Good and Sam Ackham. Uh, Sam Ackham, I'm, I'm not sure if you two are carpooling to Mount Smart. We'll find out very shortly. Um, here's Araha with the news. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Lavina Good, Sam Ackerman with us this morning, um, both massive league fans, Sam Ackerman of course massive Warriors fan has stuck through them through uh, uh, the good times and the bad times, we might be having a good time at the moment Sam, um, that may well continue uh, against the Bulldogs on uh, Sunday, but without Wade Egan and Mitchell Barnett. Yeah, and throw in um, that uh, Dylan Lutton's Lutniak's out, and as well as Braden Villiami. That's at least four guaranteed seventeen, uh, you know, first seventeen uh, starters out of this. So it's actually quite a um, quite a hefty chunk when you put it in that direction. But no one's no one's making noise about that because this team has uh, managed to show that they can do a job when they aren't exactly at, at full strength. But I, I'm 
I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, it's, you know, when you've got all those um, burns up and down your body, uh, you'll see the scars and you go, yep, I'm not going to rush, uh, rush into that uh, hot spa just yet. I'm going to just let it, let it get me away before I throw myself in entirely. I, I am uh, nothing but impressed with what we've seen from the Warriors so far. Uh, even in defeat uh, against the Roosters, they, they showed that they were patient, they were willing to have a go, and the Roosters did enough to, to earn a win. So I'm, I'm not too concerned concerned right now um, about the, about whether they're going to be uh, good or not. It's just whether they're going to have the, uh, the right punch without the likes of Wade Egan, who's up there the best, if not you know, one of the best, if not the best uh, warrior so far this season with his uh, contributions, as well as I'm a big fan of, uh, of Mitch Barnett and his, the physicality he brings too. So it is definitely a loss, but you know the guys they've got coming in to fill the shoes are uh, solid. Like Freddie Lussick is, is a, uh, a good service provider rather than a, uh, a star maker, so it really will be up to the, the rest of the spine and I think uh, Johnson and uh, Martin in particular to, to step up and uh, guide this ship a bit more and understand that Egan won't be there to make the, the big calls and the big plays as much, so they need to uh, call for the ball more and find that space. But the Warriors can spread it well. They've been strong through the middle, so uh, I'm expecting a, a pretty healthy turnout at, um, at Mount Smart. should be a, a cracking Sunday afternoon game. I'm, you wouldn't believe this, Smitty, but I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, no. <laughs> There's an understatement. There's an understatement uh, from Sam Ackerman because I know deep down you're always excited every week of the NRL, as is Lavina Good. Uh, how are you looking at, at this one, Lavina, in terms of um, uh, the Warriors with a few defections and the Bulldogs who are, uh, I think, on the improve too? Yeah, the Bulldogs played great last week against the Tigers. That was an exciting match and they managed to to win that one um, and on the back of defeating the Melbourne Storm the week before. So don't underestimate what the Bulldogs will bring to this first uh, home match in Auckland for the Warriors. Um, I like the look of the Bulldogs' backline, actually. They've got this kid, Jacob um, Kuraz, who I think they bought for about $40,000. And at the moment, he's at the top of the Dallium leadership. And on the other other side of the wing, they've got the, the fast Josh Adokar would have to be one of the fastest players in rugby league. So they've got plenty of quick players um, out wide. I do really believe the Warriors are going to miss Wade Egan. He scored a try in every opening match so far, but it's not his point scoring ability that I've been impressed with. It's how he's rallying the team on defence. And, you know, the greatest super coach of all time, not Wayne Bennett, but Jack Gibson said defence wins games. And the thing I've noticed most from the Warriors in their opening three matches is that defensive attitude has completely changed from the end of last year, especially when they're playing their online defence. So they'll, they'll definitely miss uh, Wade Egan, I think. And it's interesting that Webster's opted to keep Kavanga on the bench. He prefers to have him as that Lance Ohio impact player who has worked well for the Warriors so far. Uh, it, it'll be a competition. I think it'll be really, really close and the challenges uh, will be there, but hopefully... Johnson and Mighty Martin continue to orchestrate what they've done in the past and there's a good chance that the Warriors can go one more. I just like the fact that they're playing one match at a time, not getting too far ahead of themselves and not underestimating the ability of their opposition. They know they're in for a, a very competitive match against the Bulldogs who have surprised lots of fans so far. But I think the rugby league fans, especially those around South Auckland that managed to see the Warriors at home on Sunday afternoon will be exceptionally entertained and let's hope that they can come come out of this one with the two points. A, a rugby league question uh, for Sam uh, first and I love your opinion too on it, Lavina, at some point. Um, 
it's, it's a rugby into rugby league, really. Uh, Chiefs Manawa versus uh, Matatu tomorrow. So uh, that is the, the final of uh, Super Rugby or Picky. But the other question around it is, should New Zealand rugby be worried about the threat of the NRLW if Orpiki doesn't grow at a reasonable rate? And I'm not sure, Sam, whether it's grown at the rate they thought of they might have got the traction they wanted after the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, listen, I think that we'll see uh, what we've um, in uh, Women's Rugby League and uh, Rugby Union, kind of what we saw in that kind of early 90s phase of uh, rugby and uh, rugby league where there was a lot of players moving across, a lot of movement happening uh, quite regularly from you know people who are established in one and going back and forth. It feels that's the zone we're in now, uh, and these, these athletes, good on them. Uh, there's, um, they deserve the chance to earn whatever money they can in, in whatever environment and test themselves and uh, wherever they want as well. But I just think because the start at the start of this professional era for uh, these uh, for these women will mean they're going to take the opportunities where they come. So I'm not concerned for either code. Uh, I actually think that there's if there is a, a smart alignment, there's ways that players can bounce between the two. Of course, there's you know, centralised contracts with New Zealand rugby and um, being available for the Black Ferns and whatnot. But I think that the lure um, of the international game is going to be quite helpful for um, New Zealand rugby and uh, and Alpiki and the concept that some of these league players who have enjoyed the NRLW, they've tasted it, they want to see if they can get, earn themselves that stage and get that that kind of adulation that existed uh, last year for the Black Ferns. That's their big carrot. So Super Rugby Alpiki isn't the draw. The opportunity to put on uh, the the black jersey that for um, for the 15s is is what would bring them in. But I've, you know, I, I expect plenty to bounce through. And the NRLW is a is a magnificent comp, really well uh, done when it's given the the right space and time. Um, and Super Rugby Alpiki, I'm really looking forward to the final. And of course, uh, it will be uh, Chiefs hard down here in Tauranga and really hopes Manawa go well. But it is a, uh, it, you've got to say, it feels like a lopsided comp in the context that no one's really doubted at any point that the Chiefs should win. And that's not to write off uh, Manatu at all. I really think that they deserve their spot after wooden spinning last year. But yeah, it, it feels a little predictable, and that's never a good sign for a comp. Okay, uh, Lavina, love your take on that. I think New Zealand rugby has been really disrespectful to Wahini rugby in this country. I think the competition's too short. It started like a month ago, five weeks ago, and we're already into the finals. So, I mean, they reap the rewards of the adoration of the nation with the uh, World Cup final and taking that out with millions of viewers just here in New Zealand watching, let alone around the world. And yet, as a payback, they say you can have a five-week competition with four teams. So, number one, it should have been two rounds, not one round. I think that's disrespectful. Number two, they should have invested more money into the competition and maybe even invite some Australian teams into the competition. So, that would make it more entertaining. And I just feel, though, um, with the four teams in the competition, there was never any doubt, you know, whether or not the Chiefs would make it through to the final. I'm really glad Mufta 2 have made it through because they were the wooden spooners from last year. But in terms of this competition, I really do believe New Zealand rugby have missed the boat on this one. And they took all the Adelaide's, uh, accolades for what they were rewarded from that final. And as a result, they've dished out an under-par competition that hasn't generated much interest at all. So I'm really disappointed with the competition in general. And I hope next season it goes longer. Because at the end of this, there'll be a three-month downturn before the Black Ferns take on Australia. And that's a long time for women in this competition that are, are part-time players 
because they've all got jobs because they have to earn money to play and I just feel it's absolutely disrespectful and ridiculous. So hopefully New Zealand Rugby listen to the public and the public say that we love our Blackburns, we love our wahini playing this game and as a result let's make this competition more prolific in the future, generate more funds for it, more resources, more money, more coverage so that it's a decent comp for 2024. As Chiefs fans, um, I'll give you an opportunity to acknowledge a milestone. Uh, Damien McKenzie, 100 games for the Chiefs. A, a kid that uh, grew up uh, in Gore, went through Christ College, never thought he'd be playing in the Hamilton area, uh, is about to play his 100th, albeit in Sydney, which is a bit of a shame. But Sam, where does he sit for you, Damien McKenzie? I think he goes underrated. Uh, first of all, I, I won't pretend to be a Chiefs fan, uh, but as a, as a top, as my uh, top side, but because uh, you know that's it's sacrilege to say that about the uh, the mighty Blues. But the the fact of the matter is that uh, his rugby ability has been pronounced. His X factor is there. Uh, he sat behind some very talented players at the Test um, picking order, which has uh, left him to be an impact player. When he did get an opportunity, I don't feel he really owned any starting spot when uh, when he was there but I think he's underrated and I think that he's got potential to be a, a real game breaker um, at uh, all back level but I've always loved what he's done with the uh, the Chiefs players players in his positions need to bring in energy but I think that he's got an edge energy wise over so many others and it, there's something when he's got the ball in hand or he's involved in the game whether it's minute one or minute 80 he doesn't look like he's, he's gassed at any stage it's, it's not a fitness it's a passion thing that he brings so I've always been uh, so enthralled with him and I know that you know my my, uh, my young pro example uh, always loved when he get well, if the Chiefs score a try he wants to watch the conversion to see the uh, the smiling assassin line up and, uh, and have a crack so that type of energy he brings is, is special to rugby Lavina, last word for you well Damien McKenzie is a superstar, he's a smiling assassin, he puts bums on feet, tell me why did he not play last weekend, oh we know why because there's a rotational policy that if you're with the All Blacks you have to have a rest, last weekend was family weekend for the Chiefs, it was an afternoon game so many tamariki here from Tauranga all made the trek down the Kaimai to hopefully watch Damien McKenzie play because he is exciting and he's a tremendous player. It would have been perfect if we could have celebrated his 100th game in the Wakafu with all these young fans that absolutely adore him. We didn't get that chance, which is really, really disappointing. I wish him well for his 100th in Sydney. He's one of the most popular players from the Chiefs in the Wakatu Bay, plenty area. I just wish we could have seen him play last weekend. That was really frustrating as a Chiefs rugby fan. Totally agree. Uh, totally agree that uh, 100 at that stadium, celebrating that in front of that passionate crowd would have been so much more, uh, meant so much more to him and, to, and running out to a, probably a, a barrage of booze at Sydney uh, at Alliance Stadium over the weekend. Uh, thanks uh, thanks you very much uh, to Sam Ackerman and Lavina Good. Um, always strong opinions. Uh, love the league uh, input as well. And uh, have a great weekend, you two. And we'll catch up again shortly. Uh, time for a break here on SCNZ. Might go through the Cricket Awards when we return. The recipients. Izzy and me each morning from six and I'm sure you'll find a reason to laugh. <laughs> 
brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. History last night at the New Zealand Cricket Awards, something very, very special. I think we'll just play you. I think we'll just play you at this, this historic moment and you can reflect on it with us. It really is a wonderful time for girls and women to be playing cricket right now with more opportunities than ever for not only the players at the White Ferns level but at many levels underneath which is so important for attracting and keeping players in the game and for bridging that gap to playing at international level. Over this past season at the highest levels of cricket, several players have had outstanding performances, but one player has stood out, impressing with her skill, and for my mind, one of the most important aspects, consistency in batting, bowling and fielding. The judges of this award described her as the player who has clearly provided the most impact over the past year. So it's my very great pleasure to announce that the winner of the very first Debbie Hockley medal is Mealy Kerr. Again, I'm sorry I can't be there tonight. Um, currently in India, finishing off the season with the Mumbai Indians. Um, it's a real honour and privilege to receive the first ever De- Debbie Hockley medal. And unfortunately, I can't be in Auckland tonight to receive it from Debbie herself. Um, but again, just to see the growth this year in the women's game and each year how much bigger it's getting is so exciting. I think with the White Ferns, you know, we've had some challenging times, and um, but a lot of good performances as well this year. And um, yeah, but to win this award, it's very special. But again, it couldn't be done without the teammates around me. And I feel at the moment in the place that I am with my cricket, with the support I have around me, I'm learning so much about my game and, and growing. And that's because of the players and, and support staff around me. So I'm very grateful for that. And yeah, again, to win this award is a huge honour, especially it being the first ever Debbie Hockley medal. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, that's Millie Kerr uh, overseas, um, her reaction to uh, Debbie Hockley's speech and to Debbie Hockley, uh, the first Debbie Hockley medal. Outstanding, historic. It's 10.51 here on SENZ. Your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. All right, a very quick around the houses here as we head to Louis Herman Watt and all eyes on Mooney Valley tonight. Yes, all eyes on Mooney Valley tonight. So the breaking news. Go on, go have a bet. Australian Cup tomorrow. Go beat the TAB because Moonga at 6.50 and 2.40. He's out of the race, which means Campionessa gets a start, Smithy. And right now she's paying eighteen dollars 100% worth an each-way go. She can give cheek in this race, and of course with no deductions. We've caught Paulie Moati and the like snapping here. Uh, go and have a bet. Moonga was ca- is coming out of that race. He's going to be scratched, so she's going to get a start. Um, tonight at the Valley, well, everybody in their dog is tipping this one, so I may as well pass on the mail. Race three... Oh, wow. It's $1. forty now because there have been a bunch of scratchings. It's not very fun. Maybe you can multi that with uh, Koo Cullen. 
race three, Brave Mead. Allegedly, it's a sit and steer job, which it is on this two year old for Tiaki. I was going around tomorrow at Rickerton. So you multi those together, TAB might give you a $1.75 or whatever it is. There you go. It's nice to get one back off the bookies every once in a while and go back camping Esther before they've taken Wonga out of the market. Good on you, Louis. Thanks for the inside information there. We'll do just that. That's, of course, unless Pip Morris rings them right now and alerts them to the fact that we're all about to climb in. Good morning to you, Pip. Uh, busy weekend of greyhounds and any number of sporting options too. Good morning to you, Smithy. Oh, no, I'm not that quick, so you yeah, will be about to get on there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Group 1 out of Alexandra Park this evening. Of course, all the two Group 1s, the Derby and the Oaks. 2000 on Sherlock to win currently in the Derby at $3.50 in race 7. 1000 on Merlin, though, his race rival at 270. Of course, he's around 1.9 now. There's been 2000 put on Escape Artist to win at 330 in race 8. And 3000 on Copy That at the 1.9 in race 9. And another punch has jumped in at 1.8 on him when he was $2.10. As far as the Greyhounds go, we've got Group 1 racing on Sunday out of Monaco with the Auckland Cup and the Railway. Can tell you it's Aston Kennett and the Power Superstar who are taking the money so far in the Auckland Cup. And in the Railway, it is Levi Bale and Aston Lamont. And the sports committee, yes, there's so much sports. Uh, to talk about the $800 exact half full-time double has been very popular for the Chiefs at $1.35. And the Chiefs head-to-head, 66% of the betting is on them. As far as the Brumbies game goes, Richie Mawanga, first, second or third try score at $7. Hurricane 13 or more, very popular at $1.50. And they are taking 76% of the money head-to-head at $1.10. Get on your pup. You have a terrific weekend. Uh, so much on for the punters. It's just a case of which way you want to look and uh, which option uh, you want to take. Uh, we're thick into it right now. NRL, Super Rugby, anything goes. So much sport. It's just uh, so cool. Administering sport's uh, a big deal too. That's why we're going to talk to the Burt Sutcliffe medal winner from the Cricket Awards last night very shortly. He is Heath Mills. He's done a sterling job on behalf of the players. Experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, we've uh, talked about the fact it uh, was the New Zealand uh, Cricket Awards last night in Auckland and uh, a good occasion because last couple of years have been spoiled by the fact that uh, no one could get together. Uh, A thing called COVID came along and uh, ruined it, but uh, last night they did. Uh, and there's a very special award handed out there called the Bert Sutcliffe Medal winner for services to New Zealand cricket over a period of time. And of the recipient, Martin Sneddon, the chairman, said this, forged a trusted and constructive relationship with New Zealand cricket, the likes of which has not been replicated anywhere else in the world. He is now recognised as the foremost authority on player advocacy in international cricket, without doubt, uh, will be remembered as one of the most influential figures in New Zealand cricket history. Very, very high praise indeed for Heath Mills. Good morning to you, sir. Congratulations. Oh, good morning, Smithy, and, and thank you so much. It was very, very kind words from Martin last night, and um, you can just listening to them again. I <laughs> get a, a little bit emotional that, that, that he, he made those comments about me. I always felt very sort of privileged and honoured to that the players keep employing me to look after them. But, uh, you, you know, the, for, to hear those words from Martin, particularly after our start back in 2002, was, was, was really special. 
Yeah, take us back to 2002. You know, we're talking a couple of decades here. Um, it was rocky. There's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, it was it was innovative. Uh, New Zealand cricket uh, wasn't uh, really in the business of being uh, helped in their decision making. I think I'll put it politely. Uh, there was talks of strikes even. Yeah, yeah, well, it was a hard time, and I was, we were young. I mean, Rob Nicholls was, was uh, heavily involved at that time with, with me, and the players were—they just didn't know whether they were getting paid fairly. They, they, the, the contract system wasn't very good at all. Um, they didn't know that, how how they should be valued. They had high performance environment was pretty poor. You will remember Smithy. The facilities were less than average. There was very few coaches, so uh, they, they were keen to follow what had happened overseas and form an association in the. I was lucky enough. I, I knew a few of them, and they they asked me to help them get organised. And I, I, to be honest, with you, at the start we we didn't really know what we were doing. We went heavily on Tim May in Australia, um, and we entered that first negotiation with New Zealand Cricket. Still, still working other jobs, and um, and it ended up it was tough. It was about a year and a half till we got a deal done, and we there was a so-called players' strike. And you know, I know Martin and and others at the time, and, and, and other people involved in the game were we weren't very popular with them. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but we, we all got through that in the end, and, and uh, actually after, it was, it was very acrimonious actually, but afterwards Martin um, very quickly reached out and said, look, you guys are here, um, and we've got an agreement in place now, we need to find a way to work together. And Although we've had really had to deal with a lot of issues over the years, and it hasn't been easy, um, and we've had the challenge at times, and had to do list, a lot of listing at times as well. It, um, we, we have really formed a strong partnership, and I, and I really take my hat off to New Zealand cricket that they respect their player group so much, um, uh, and, and they want to have independent representation in the, in the, in the, in the, from the players uh, to, to interact with and make decisions with. And, and then to bestow an award like this on, on the representative of the players is, is a big thing. I don't think it's really happened too much in world sport where the governing body's given an award like this to the head of the Players Association. So I, I just really take my hat off to them and, and, and respect what they've done here enormously. Aside from that uh, particular early issue, um, which, uh, as you say, got a, a little bit t- tempestuous because uh, everyone was just trying to find their feet about uh, the process back in those days, uh, would have been one or two of the other um, more contentious issues that you felt you had to get through? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, I think the, the, the onset of the Indian Cricket League... Uh, I think it was going back, I, I can't, it, was, I think it might have been 2007 or 2008, Smithy. Um, that was tough. Uh, it ended up being a rebel league after initially um, people thinking it would be sanctioned or it should have been allowed. Uh, and we, well, I think we lost about 10, 11, 12 players to that. And that was a really difficult time. Um, you know, we, we had a responsibility to the collective here in New Zealand, um, and, but we also you know, had to make sure players had the right to go and work for whomever they chose. And and that was a, that was that was a difficult issue. Not so much with New Zealand cricket necessarily, but with the whole world game. And, and then, of course, the the IPL came came along, and that also was tough. And I remember when we um, the first IPL, we had an England Test tour, and I think we we, we traditionally played to say four or five first class matches before the first Test, and we had our IPL players arrive three days before the first Test, and, and that didn't go down well with a, a lot of former players and a lot of people in the cricket community. Um, but now, you know, the schedules are aligned and the guys can go to the IPL and New Zealand Cricket's happy with that. I mean, we've got to a good place. But in those early years, that was really, really, really tough. Uh, and obviously, um, dealing with the match-fixing issues was, was really difficult as well. At, at that time, it's, you know, really, really tough on, on everyone. 
Um, but look, mate, there's always issues. You know, we're in the people people business. Um, and, you know, people have issues, and we, we just got to find a way to work through them. And I think we do that respect, respectfully um, with New Zealand cricket, the, the ICC, and then obviously with our members at times. So I, I, I tend to look at the, the really good stuff for me, mate. I, I, people think that my job's about money and contracts. Um, to be honest, it's only five to ten percent of what we do. I, I, I get most of my reward really in what we do with the personal development program. We've got six staff now who help all the players with their off-field development and with welfare issues and with their families. And and, and, I, and the Cricketers Hardship Trust, where we support past players who've fallen hard times, we've probably helped on average 15 players a year now with various issues, and most of which we can't talk about because it's pretty tough. I, I tell you what, that 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 really, I, I really love doing that work. So um, it's that sort of stuff which which keeps me going, Smithy. To be honest with you. Um, interesting. You mentioned before, uh, Heath, uh, that you worked uh, very closely in, in the initial stages with uh, uh, Tim May. Of course, uh, Tim May, uh, May was uh, very uh, like yourself. Uh, probably, uh, you know, the the, the person who uh, people looked at as saying. Uh, he sorted it from an Australian player's point of view. Do you um, have much communication with uh, the relative other players' associations around the world? Yeah, uh, yes, uh, we do. There's an inter- um, international player association, FICA, the Federation of International Cricketers Association, but a bit of a long name, but FICA for short. Um, so that's been around for 18 years now, and there's, there's, um, we've got 12 members. Uh, there's no player association in, in India uh, or, or Pakistan, uh, but everyone else has them, including the island, Scotland, and Netherlands now. So um, I actually, you know, very fortunate and, and, and privileged to chair that organisation at the moment. So you know, we're on week, weekly calls. So, uh, you know, I think we're fourth face-to-face board meetings a year now. Um, but the organisation's grown. We we're in, in negotiations with ICC at the moment for the next uh, event cycle for the players' involvement with that. So, you know, we, we work together very, very closely and, and are well aware of what's going on in all the other countries, which which really helps me here. And, and obviously here in New Zealand, we've got a close working relationship with, with, with the other player associations here. So we sort of find it our space a bit, Smithy. So we, 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 we collaborate a lot um, with the other countries around the world in cricket and with the other sports here in New Zealand. So you can sort of see what works well and take the best from, from all the environments really and apply it to your own. Uh, Heath, uh, Heath Mills we're talking to folks, of course the winner of the Bert Suckliff medal uh, last night at the New Zealand Cricket Awards um, and a reflection of what uh, the great work that Heath has done over a long, long period of time now um, as an advocate for the players and players' rights, players' uh, health, players' uh, mental well-being, etc. situation. Um, one of the other things, Heath, has become very apparent of late, and you, uh, New Zealand cricket and yourself have been forerunners of this on a world stage, is parity for women in cricket. Yeah, um, it's been really important for us. We, you know, the woman, we, we got them on board as mirrors about so 11, 12 years ago now, and slowly chipped away with an, an M, a separate MOU for them um, over that time. And uh, Last year we negotiated our latest collective agreement with New Zealand Cricket and it was it was really awesome to bring our female members into the one agreement with the men and to, and to agree a pay parity model within the player payment pool, um, recognising obviously the differences between the number of games played, different formats and so on and so forth. But we've got a really good pay parity model within that and I, I, 
it's a great framework to have our woman players, our male players, sharing the same terms and conditions and, and treated fairly within our system. So we're actually really proud of that. And it was the first one in the cricket world and a few, few more are starting to follow now, which is great. And I, I think there's so much opportunity in the women's game. Um, and, and we've seen it in the last two or three years with the increased investment. Now the commercial returns are starting to come. Just look at the women's IPL. Um, and here at the moment, I, I, was, I was over in India last week and, and then watching um, some of that competition and talking to the broadcasters. They've, they've been really impressed with the numbers. So you know, it's a, a huge opportunity for growth in, in our game and in, in the, the, the women's competition. So we, we're really delighted with where we've got to in that area. Growth's an interesting word too, uh, Heath, because, of course, um, it's all very well to look after the professional, the top end of it, of course, but... Uh, you need um, players of tomorrow so you can look after them in the years ahead. Um, so I guess you keep a relatively close eye on numbers, the development of the game uh, at first class level and below, etc. Uh, in terms of the future, because uh, uh, obviously that is just so damn important. And you get uh, the odd story about certain provincial areas where club sides are struggling to find teams, uh, young players are perhaps not playing the, the game as much as they used to at secondary school. And all that, I suppose, is, is into the general to general health of the game as such. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. It's absolutely critical, um, obviously, to, to have the, the, the young players coming through. And we talk about that a lot with the current players. The current players obviously went to schools, went to clubs, and they're very well connected to the community game um, through their history and their involvement in the sport and care about it passionately. Um, so now our know, revenue share model makes sure that we New Zealand cricket has got enough so that the major associations and the districts have got enough funding to run, run their programs. I think from our point of view, we're really strong on having good facilities for the professional game, the, 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 the nets and the development New Zealand cricket's put in place now with their outdoor netting system and so on and so forth is fantastic. The facilities that our people have to train and prepare on now are second to none. But of course, they end up not just being available for the professional players, they end up being available for all the age group teams all the way down as well, which, which is awesome. I do think, though... Um, Sports got a challenge in New Zealand, and, and that's probably just part of the evolution where people are participating less. Uh, and, and you would have seen that, but the obviously we've seen that in my pathway through sport. Um, you're quite right; clubs are struggling for numbers, but I think that's not a unique cricket problem um, or rugby problem. That, that's a that's a problem in all of sport. When I was a young fellow back last century, um, you know, there were no shops open on Saturdays or Sundays and, and there were no you know, viaduct basins or uh, viaducts to, to go to Courtney places. You know, people socialised and spent time at sports clubs and now with so much other activities for kids um, to, be, to be engaged in and so much, many other things for them to do on the weekends, we, we just, people just aren't going to sports clubs like they used to. Um, so it's really important that sport, I believe that the players, the athletes and the competitions are really aspirational, that they see people participating, they see success on the world stage and, they, and, and then they grow a love of the sport and they aspire to get involved and perhaps replicate what they see on TV but even if they're not a player that they, that they, that they enjoy what they're, they're seeing and they're watching so that they become engaged to the point where they're in where they want to keep watching and, and be engaged on other levels within the sport. So, yeah, like I don't know what the answers are necessarily, but it, there's definitely an evolution going, uh, taking place where we're just not getting people participating like they used to. And I don't think it's sport's fault necessarily. It's just that there are so many other things for people to do now in life. 
Um, Heath, uh, sometimes when uh, awards are handed out of this nature, it's like a, a reflection um, that your job's done, you know, what you've done, you've, you've finished with, etc. What does uh, the Heath Mills uh, future look like in, this, uh, in the interim anyway? <laughs> oh, look, I don't, I don't know. Good question. Um, I, I, um, I still love what I do. Uh, I, I feel very blessed and privileged to do what I do, actually. Um, uh, and it's a very interesting job, but you know, it's done it a long time now, so I need to think about you know the next sort of five to ten years and, and what's around the corner. I, I really love the international role at the moment, sharing the international um, player association, and you know I'd like, I'd like to re- remain doing that for as long as I, as I can. But you know, there's probably time in the, in the next few years for me to think about things. But at the moment, I'm I, I'm um, I'm certainly heavily committed to what I do, um, and as I said, I, I just. Um, I love looking after players, and and I love working in cricket. It's a great sport. It's there are great people involved. New Zealand cricket, the major associations, community people. I I very seldom come across someone who's not in it for the right reasons, or a good person, who who, who, who I want you know want to engage with. So I I love the mm. people more than anything. So it'll be hard to leave when the time comes. And I, well, yeah, when the time comes, uh, absolutely right, Heath. Uh, hey, look, uh, fantastic to catch up with you. I sincerely, uh, sincerely endorse Martin uh, Martin Sneddon's comments there, and uh, uh, and I obviously congratulate you uh, on a very well deserved award, the the Bert Sucklick uh, one, which uh, I understand you'll be able to hold on to for the rest of your life. So that is just uh, superb. Congratulations, uh, and uh, continue on the fine work. Uh, thanks for your time, Heath. Thanks so much, Smithy. It's very kind and, and much appreciated, mate. Best, best of luck yep. to you. Yeah, have a great day, man. Uh, Heath Mills there. Um, yep, that is a big award, I can promise you. Um, it means a lot when you get it because it, it's just not an overnight thing. It's it's um, it's uh, you can reflect. Uh, you look at it and you, re- you reflect on it as uh, uh, something you've done over a long period of time. And there are a lot of worthy candidates uh, every year, so to get singled out. Um, Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. A couple of uh, texts have come in. Yeah, I, I did realise that uh, DMAC did play a, a little bit last week out of absolute necessity, but I, I was getting more about the pomp and the ceremony and the occasion of knowing that, that you know, that special moments around. Um, and it's a shame. It's a bit of a shame. Oh, that's what I felt. He deserves better accolade. I think that's the easiest way to say it. Uh, than to run out at Sydney and celebrate it. I would have thought uh, running out at, at home would have felt a lot better. Um, Logan, I can see you finger poised. You've got uh, something on your mind, yes? Yeah, just a question for you, Smithy. Since you uh, brought up winning the Burt Sutcliffe Medal, you did it, of course, back in, uh, well, being awarded it back in 2020. How did you reflect on it? Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, I think you've probably got it in the way I just finished off there. It's, uh, <clears throat> you, you don't. It's not something you expect. Put it that way. It's not something you you know you do, and, and it, it comes out of the blue, really, um, because uh, you know the bulk of the awards are for a twelve-month period of actually playing the game, um, and so when you've been involved for a long time across a few sort of disciplines, I've never been a cricket administrator. I've never um, been on a board. I've never um, really had anything to do with the way the game is administered. So I, I have not been part of that. I probably wouldn't be very good at it. I'm t- probably too, a bit too impatient for that kind of things. I like things to happen overnight. I'm not one of those guys that sits and waits for something to eventuate in about three years' time because of some clear and serious thinking. So, um, But, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to get it, um, and it meant a hell of a lot, Logan. I can promise you that, a hell of a lot, um, and all, always will do.
Um, so, yeah, because there's so many people uh, put so much in from grassroots level right to the top who don't get recognised, uh, you know, who, who just do it because of the love of the game, volunteers, etc. There are those in a more professional uh, state that get uh, rewarded financially for what they do in the game. But, you know, honestly, to get singled out, and that, that's the thing, the singled out, and to have something that uh, one of the greats of New Zealand cricket's name is attached to, Bert Sutcliffe, re- remembered by a lot of those that were uh, early followers of the game as uh, one of New Zealand's greatest, Bert Sutcliffe, uh, and a terrific man to boot. So, yeah, cool, absolutely cool, I think, uh, at the end of the day. And I'm very, very pleased that uh, Heath Mills has uh, joined the list of recipients. It's 11.21. Uh, we shall come back and uh, take a very close look at what's on SCNZ this week, including a, something very special. It's 6 o'clock on Saturday night. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yeah, a little segment here called uh, What's on SENZ this uh, weekend and uh, what's already happened uh, overnight on uh, SENZ. And staggering result. I can't get over it. Uh, it's such a hard comp to pick. In fact, someone texted in before and said, an NRL tipping comp was once won by someone picking based on which mascot would win a fight between them. Okay, fair enough, Sean. Thanks for that. Uh, I can't tip them. I really can't. I got that one wrong last night. Um, but what do you make of it, Logan? Hmm, just trying to think. Bulldogs mascot versus Warriors mascot. I'm going for the Warriors. Eels versus Panthers, man. Battle of Western Sydney. I love this, especially for all the uh, the Parramatta fans out there, the ones that we know on the show that are dear to our hearts. Ricardo, Lavina. I'm sure there's more out there that are hiding in the woodwork. They haven't had the best start to the season, but man, this will get them up for sure. But Nathan Cleary going for the two-point field goal to tie it up and force extra time. Beautiful stuff here on SCN. Here we go, Cleary. He goes for the two-point field goal. Nathan Cleary, he's latched onto it. Cleary, Cleary, he has kicked one of the most remarkable two-point field goals. Champion pressure. Some eat it, some get eaten by it. And Nathan Cleary was hungry. Oh, and Matt Gutherson's going, please miss, please miss. He actually caught it, but it went over the post. That was ridiculous. Unbelievable. i got hairs on the back of my neck and on my arms. (laughs) Huge call there by our Joel Kane, Brett Kamali and uh, Mark Spud Carroll, of course. And then it goes to the golden point. Mitchell Moses, he's just been extended uh, to the Parramatta Eels, and he rewarded them with this. So can he get himself in position here? Moses is there now. Here's Moses now set for the kick. This is the last for Parramatta. They're 15 metres out. Ball goes back. Mitch Moses. Mitch Moses kicks it. Million dollar Moses. There's a million reasons why they've backed him in. And Parramatta now have their first win of the season. They had to go the long road. It was a long old road. It was a great kick from Cleary. But Moses has taken them to their first win against the team who gave them so much pain in the grand final. Parramatta 17, defeat the Panthers 16. How good, Smithy. I thought that was brilliant. Love that coverage too. Absolutely love the vibe coming through with uh, the coverage there. Um, So uh, that was a terrific call. We've got, what, the Storm and the Tigers tonight from 
uh, Amy Park. So that's uh, here on SENZ. I really want to focus on Saturday. Tell us a wee bit more about Saturday at uh, 6 o'clock. Uh, 6 o'clock, very special uh, tribute to one of the greatest ever play rugby league, uh, John Sattler, or uh, father of Scott Sattler, who's also very near and dear to our hearts here at SEN and SENZ. We're doing a special one-hour tribute show from 6pm, Smithy, so make sure you tune in for that, or if you do miss it, it will be up on all the usual podcast channels. And then, uh, following straight into that, our very own Mark Stafford is going to be commentating the Steel versus the Magic in the ANZ Premiership netball. And then there's the big one, Smithy. You talk about vibe, you talk about feel, and the commentary here on SCNZ. I don't know if it gets much bigger than the Warriors. The one New Zealand Warriors being back at Mount Smart Stadium, and you got Sam Hewitt and Tony Kemp on the call. That's going to be a big one from 3 p.m. Sunday. Look forward to that, absolutely do. Uh, look forward to the netball with staff as well because the Southern Steel have uh, uh, had uh, not had a win uh, and here they've got an opportunity to, to post that first one so staff might be able to call out. Yes, Sam Hewitt and Tony Kent do a terrific job in tandem uh, highlighting the, the atmosphere uh, at uh, Warriors games but this will be something special because, uh, yes, it's their, their sentimental home which is uh, Mount Smart Stadium. They haven't been able to get there because of concerts and uh, the draw and slightly later rounds but... Uh, they are back. They are back here yeah, from 3pm, uh, so we'll be covering that on a Sunday. It should be something really special. So, um, shall we just uh, go into the news and, and solicit some calls? I think we will. Yeah, we will. 0800 150 811. Uh, it's time to stump Smithy. Uh, last chance for the week. 0800 150 811. Uh, just the fitty up for grabs uh, today, so uh, we'll make it nice and simple with our categories, I'm sure. Brian, waiting for your calls. Logan will be, of course, the quiz master. Had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. It's Friday. It's time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. $50 TAB bonus bet is up for grabs today, Smithy. Been a lot of love for the cricket, and I will uh, give you a little hint that cricket is one of the topics today. You ready for a big one? Yeah, ready to try and double it up over uh, the weekend and uh, make sure that uh, come Monday we've uh, got 100 to play for. So uh, first up this morning, who are we uh, jousting with? Oh, first at the crease from Auckland, we've got Charlie. Come in, mate. Hey, Smithy. Hey, Charlie. Good morning to you, my friend. Uh, what's uh, What are you looking forward to most over the weekend, sporting-wise? Oh, I'll go to the rugby. The blues. Ooh. Probably, yeah. Okay, And the, and the cool. NBA. Love a bit of basketball as well, so NBA is always good. Oh, the NBA, uh, a lot of great coverage to it on uh, Sky too, mostly on Channel 60. Right, uh, so basketball, you obviously in league, you'd quite like as part of your subjects, but is he going to be lucky, uh, Logan? <laughs> is Charlie going to get lucky in that regard? Maybe if he uh, called yesterday, he would have. Uh, Charlie, do you know how the game is played? Charlie? Familiar, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, well, I'll give you the topics and we'll get straight into it. Football, rugby, and cricket. Take your pick. Oh, I'll go football. All right, good luck. 
First question, the FIFA Women's World Cup is just four months away when our football ferns will be going up against the best in the world right here in New Zealand. But before it kicks off, they have two friendlies booked in April. Can you name one of those teams they'll be playing? Oh. No way. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Good guess. Smithy, over to you. Turkey? Did I read something about Turkey? No. Is Turkey your answer? Yeah, Turkey's my answer. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Nigeria, and the reason why I said Norway was a good guess is because Iceland is the other one. Oh, right, okay, but of Scandinavia thrown in there with uh, a little bit of Africa, so Nigeria and, uh, okay, Iceland. Right, yep. okay, question two. So, Charlie, you're on the money there because I wasn't. Second question for you, Charlie. The international window is now open and all top-level leagues across the globe get a weekend off. The All-8s are playing China and drew their first match nil all. Who received a red card in that match? Tom Smith. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. The, the old Logan would have uh, probably not have given that because we all call him Tommy Smith, but never mind, you're, uh, <laughs> you got that one. Uh, we'll move on to question three, Charlie. $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs here. In 1982, the All Whites qualified for their first FIFA World Cup by beating China 2-1. Oceania player of the century, Winton Rufus, scored one of those goals. Who scored the other? Can I get a first name? Oh, Steve? I think Steve is Steve Woodham. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. See, that was just a little test there, Smithy, because I feel like if you were Googling, you would have said that a bit more confidently. I'll take no, it. No, that's fine. That's fine. Congratulations, Steve Woodham. I was thinking maybe Brian Turner. Um, or someone else along the lines there, but Steve Woodham, what a terrific left foot he had on him as well. Uh, good combination, or Winton Ruther and Steve Woodham. Hey, congratulations, yeah. uh, Charlie. Well done, mate. Oh, um, have a terrific, have a terrific, have a terrific uh, weekend. Yeah, good on you, man. You, you, um, you enjoy the money and uh, stay on the line. Brian will get your details. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Yeah, same to you, man. Charlie from Auckland is the victor today. Uh, we'll put a footy up on uh, Monday morning uh, around about 11.30. Uh, coming up to uh, 11.39, which means uh, we're going to catch up with Mick Guerin next. Uh, what's on in the racing world? Beginning tonight, of course, at Mooney Valley. But uh, it's also a huge night uh, coming up at Alexandra Park. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, indeed it is. And at this time on a Friday, we always love to catch up uh, with uh, the guru, I call him anyway. Uh, he's got uh, lots of names, including uh, the mailman as well. Um, he is uh, superb on uh, radio for trotting and for racing as well. And uh, tonight he's got reason to be excited because uh, it's a very, very big meeting at Alexandra Park. Big at Mooney Valley too. But uh, two group ones tonight, uh, Michael Guerin, Pasco, the Jewellers Oaks, and of course the Woodland Stud, Northern Derby. 
Yeah, morning, Smitty. Uh, thank you for that lovely intro, mate. We're, uh, we're trying to do the right thing by people out there in Radio Land and trying to find them some winners. And we're lucky to have a platform like SENZ where we can do it. You're right. It's, it's actually been a, a brutal last nine months to Alexandra Parks. They've had all sorts of problems and they've had funding issues and, and then they had their track washed away, which is never good. Uh, and it's all sort of finally behind us. Like tonight, there's the Oaks where there's a really good horse, a horse called Millwood Nike. She'll just be winning. She's won 10 out of 10. It'll be 11 out of 11 unless something goes wrong tonight. We've got the Derby where the TAB made a huge, huge stuff up. They opened a horse called Merlin at $2.70. And when you look at markets all day for a job, once in a while you just go, what? That was a what moment. Like when I opened at $2.70, I said to Greg O'Connor, I said, this is going to start at $1.60. Into a dollar eighty-five now, so they've got it wrong. Now he may not win, but they've still got his odds wrong. So he's in the feature tonight, drawn barrier two. Funny horse movement. He's never drawn inside barrier five in his entire life. Finally, he gets barrier two tonight. I think he'll lead early. He'll hand the lead to his stablemate sooner the better, who's a bit of staying type horse, and I think he'll beat him up the passing lane. So I expect. The TAB to get a bleeding nose over Merlin. And then one of the other features tonight is a race called the City of Auckland Free for All. It's not that big a race in its own context. It's $45,000. But, but more importantly, it's the second last of the lead-up races to the race by Bruins for a million uh, in three weeks. That's three weeks today at Cambridge. So you've got Copy That, who's won two New Zealand Cups, Selfish who's won two Auckland Cups, Old Town Road, Akuta, it's a really big, serious lead-up race. The one thing with lead-up races are usually you don't see a lot of pressure and a lot of attackers. So it's copy that race to lose. He should lead, and he probably should win. But, you know, it's not always that easy. But again, he opened 270, and he was into $1.85 as well. So, Smitty, the bookies have really got too wrong tonight. And people might say, well, hold on, the horses haven't won yet. How do you know they've got it wrong? Well, in racing, if you can back a horse who should be paying a dollar fifty at two dollars seventy, you can technically back three or four other horses in the race and still make a profit. So, yep, there'll be a few boys down in Petoni not feeling all that stoked about tonight, and have copied that and Merlin on the two features. Um, yes, there might be a bit of a chat around the table on Monday. Right, okay. Well, there's an associate meeting uh, at Addington with uh, not as much gloss, of course, as Omaru Grass to look forward to on Sunday. But also, even uh, punters at Alexandra Park might just watch the telly every now and then because of the action at Mooney Valley tonight um, involving uh, some top New Zealand horses. Yeah, quarter past 11, so I know it's bloody late, but if, you, if, you, if you're still awake, <laughs> if you watch the 40s, 40s and all, and you make it to quarter past 11, we have Imperators, who's obviously played at Makamata by Mark Walker, and Babylon Berlin from Cambridge, two New Zealand mares, in a million-dollar race, uh, along with a New Zealand-owned mare in Rock and Horse. It's a million-dollar sprint, and New Zealand-trained horses don't often win million-dollar sprints, but Imperators is the favourite. Now, sprinting at the Valley, or Moody Valley, uh, is quite difficult because it's quite a small track, so they really blast out of the gates and go hard. I'm not sure who it suits best, 
but it's going to be really interesting. It's such a rare moment for us to have favourites in these type of races. So that's quarter past 11 tonight. Um, we're going to review that in the morning on the mail run at 8am. So we'll let you know what happened and give you a replay if you're the sort of person who doesn't stay up to quarter past 11 at night. And then tomorrow we'll also be talking about the New Zealand domestic races that are from Polonga and Rickerton. But also, uh, across the ditch in Sydney, we have New Zealand horses, favourites for two major races, including a Group 1, the Vinery, with Prowess as the favourite. We're going to talk to the owners of Prowess and ask them how they got into the horse. We're going to get weather reports from Sydney because there's some rain in Sydney, so we don't want too much rain for Prowess. Um, full sincerity is favourite for metallic over there so there's a lot going on smithy and a lot of it's based around track conditions so what we'll do at eight o'clock in the morning is get all those track conditions for you try and synthesize that and tell you what it means and also try and give you some horses to back tomorrow so that'll be uh, on the mail run from eight o'clock in the morning myself and louis and then 11 o'clock on Saturday, uh, sunday morning we're going to have uh the Trots Talk Show for an hour, try and find you someone it's a Sunday, review everything that's happened at Alexandra Park, and we'll also look forward to that race by Bruins, which, of course, we have self-assured as the SENZ horse, um, and we'll just try and work out what it all means after tonight, because sometimes there's so much going on, it's hard to, to get it all in your head. We'll try and help you with that on Sunday morning. Cheers, uh, Mike. Have a great weekend beginning tonight at uh, Alexandra Park where the stars are certainly uh, aligned and they're certainly out to play. Uh, cheers, man. Have a good one and uh, we'll be listening to you over the weekend. Thanks, Billy. Look forward to uh, seeing you soon, brother. Uh, cheers. Uh, Michael Kieran there, uh, of course. Uh, Mike, who uh, we rely on for so much information um, on this uh, show but uh, on the station as well um, and uh, busy, busy shows as he talked about this weekend with so much to review and to look forward to. Uh, coming up to 11.50 here on SENZ, uh, Kevin has sent in uh, a cool text. Kevin uh, says, I watched the Australian One Day side. Jeez, they're good. Uh, the difference between them and us, quite a margin. Our player of the year wouldn't make their third 11. Harsh but true. Uh, but whatever Steve Smith has done uh, in the past, so be it. He is a brilliant captain, and their spinners right up there. I don't mind Stoinis either. Kevin from uh, Titarangi. Interesting. Uh, Stoinis wouldn't take Stoinis much. Um, I, don't, I think he takes the hard options too often, Marcus Stoinis. I could be proven wrong there, but uh, I think he likes things uh, to go pretty easily for him. Uh, Steve Smith is an interesting one, of course. Steve Smith uh, has taken over the captaincy because, uh, unfortunately, Pat Cummins had to leave the tour, uh, go home uh, to his mother, who was not well, has uh, since passed away, which is very sad news, uh, and Pat uh, took the option not to go back to... Uh, India for obvious reasons and uh, here we've uh, got a situation where uh, the much vilified Steve Smith uh, over Sandpaper Gate um, was allowed to come back and captain Australia over a period of time has done a, a damn fine job as their deputy this time round uh, their fortunes changed uh, in the test series they got better uh, and of course uh, in this one day series they've just beaten India 2-1 which is a rarity uh, on Indian soil so yeah very very interesting indeed um, uh, text has just come in after um, Mekang up uh, Twist little girl to beat Millwood Nike uh, A hopeful owner in brackets Yeah well uh, 10 out of 10 Going for 11 out of 11 Millwood Nike and priced To beat that Unbelievable 11.51 staff shortly